Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recording started. Hoaxbuster call. You've got to remember that this is the century of change. The century where a massive agenda was to be rammed through. So remember, when you see all these changes happening that seem bizarre, chaotic, and quite frankly psychotic at times too, then it's planned that way. It really is planned that way. Academia prattled on for the whole of the last century about the 21st century. And they called it the century of change in academia, where they would fulfill this big agenda of destroying all that was to bring in the new creation. And you were witnessing it, in fact, all the time. If you watch television constantly, you will think there's not much really wrong with society. And because you've, you've adapted to it, you've adapted to all the changes step by step by step with little updates daily in entertainment and, and news and various other programs that you watch because that's how it's done until you think that it's all quite natural even the, th- the things that are really bizarre are quite natural and that's how you're supposed to see it really other items you'll find in what's called the news today are all designed to get emotional responses little oohs and ahs that are out of your mind in no time at all as you're on to the next ooh and ah or look at that cat dancing on the tightrope things like that. that that's what they put in the media today and in amongst it you have nothing but almost pornography in a lot of papers actually mixed with murders and, uh, and slaughterings and things like that which really simply reinforces the idea that you're living in some strange science fiction that's what it appears to be to you. You're in some strange limbo state, or a bad dream even, where things are happening and it's all mushed together. And it was, actually, I suppose it's more like a bad trip for folk who used to take LSD. And that's presented daily, in a daily format, as though it's quite normal. Yo, what's going on, everybody? It's uh, Monday, November 25th. 2019 and it's chris here monday night and we're doing the hoax busters call let's see looks like we got uh yeah toby's here cool um so last time i talked a bit about the uh China and their one-child policy. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about that. But first, I got to fix something. (laughs) 
One, two. One, two. Okay. All right. Yeah, so what about it? What about the China? Well, I went into that documentary, The One-Child Nation, which went into the one-child policy. And, uh, well, yeah, the interesting thing about it and what I was trying to make a point about was when you look at the propaganda they were being fed and you take a look at the similarities between that and what we're being fed today with this uh, supposed threat of annihilation climate change and destroying the planet it uh yeah it's a lot of the same a lot of the parallels I was just pointing that out um it's interesting to me in that respect And you look at uh, what's coming on the scene, the century of change, Alan Watt was talking about it there, with uh, what looks like we're going through now with a lot of societal upheaval. And a lot of it kind of springboards off of this idea of overpopulation and climate change and uh, the whole scaremongering, fearmongering around that. And, uh, yeah, hey, Toby, how's it going, man? Yeah, I just saw that in the chat. Yeah, call in, man. Uh, I'm going to go on for a little bit, and then I'll take some calls. But, Well, here's the thing. Another thing I wanted to point out that I don't think I've touched on too much last time is that I raised the question of, like, okay, how does this, um, yeah, how does this policy get implemented? How does it get to that point where you got people that will go out and do things like forced sterilization and forced abortions and and that type of activity well you, you gotta remember too that this uh, I mean their culture is different from the west in a lot of respects in that like they have kind of like a long tradition and history of I guess a lot like the Chinese and I mean, not the Chinese, but the Japanese, where it's like sort of emperor worship. And from what I understand, China has a lot of the kind of uh, similar attitudes toward leadership, rulership. And supposedly uh, China being a atheist, communist regime ruling over it, the, the Chinese Communist Party, 
and it's sort of frowned on to be religious unless you're going to go to a state sanctioned approved church but uh i think the main idea there is like uh the the sort of sort of official position is uh secularist or sort of anti anti-religious denial of a belief in god and when you go into looking at like uh yeah who who are a lot of the people that are really more inclined to be on board with a lot of this uh climate change alarmism and yeah last time I was doing calls uh the last few calls I was dealing with this issue of uh veganism and pointing out how it's like uh yeah part of this new religion coming on the scene that has a, that is in line with the earth earth worship talked about the earth charter talked about Marie Strong who's credited for coming up with the earth charter along with Mikhail Gorbachev And then noting that uh, if you look at, um, like, this vegan movement, which is incorporated into it, uh, a lot of the talking points that you're going to hear on the Earth Charter, you know, uh, yeah, this, this practice of eating meat is killing the planet, among other things, but there's, for the vegan uh, political, socio-religious movement. It's it, it it centered. It focuses on that a lot, and yeah. Then and then it's brought into this idea that uh, eating meat is immoral because uh, yeah, you shouldn't kill animals. Animals have rights just like anybody else because they have feelings and families and hopes for the future just like human beings do and you shouldn't kill them uh you should take the golden rule and and expand it out to incorporate animals and then now you're hearing this uh intersectionalist language being brought in so inclusiveness don't be speciesist you know we can't look at animals as others are different we ha- we have to look at them as, as others, and and that they're the same as people. In in uh, as far as moral equivalency, to the point where it's I- immoral to kill them for food, is what they're talking about. But one notable thing is that you'll see, and I've seen looking into this for a while is that uh, mainly for the most part I know there's exceptions there's exceptions to everything so for somebody would jump on me for that say oh well, I, I know uh, I, I know somebody who's vegan and they're not atheist but it's like it's it, atheist predominant it's, it's, it's predominant uh, among people who are 
especially the ones that are kind of up front and center and advocating for it. So then, yeah. So how? Yeah. So that's that's what I'm pointing out, and how that how that ties in with China and um, getting getting people persuaded with enough propaganda to where they act out and they do these uh, well criminal acts against pe- other people, and. Uh, yeah, and you and you're seeing this out there with this uh with these vegans. I mean, you, you, you know that um where they're where they're taking direct action and they're going and uh they're destroying property, they're uh invading people's private property. Uh there's been instances where people have been stabbed for wearing fur coats. Um stuff like that. And you're also seeing this kind of in the broader spectrum of uh, so-called liberalism, where people have pointed out that with this, like these Antifa groups, that they'll go out and commit violence, and then the police stand by and allow them to. And Alan Watt was talking about that in that in that uh, talk. He was where I took that snippet from about how you're seeing this now with this uh, leftist ideology being allowed to run amok. And uh, I just ran across something else, too, with... uh, They were going into how in California there was Proposition 8 or something like that, the the whole uh, gay marriage... uh, and it was put on the put on the ballot there, and there was some political action group, leftist political action group that uh, went into uh, political contribution records. People who were supporting that Proposition Eight, I think it was this might have been might have been pro traditional marriage bill. And they put their names out there and then put a put where they lived and everything on a map. And then the leftist activists would go and show up at their businesses and their houses and you know, key their cars and do vandalism and picket their businesses and uh harass uh, business owners and, and companies and there was they, they pointed out there was somebody that was uh, fired over supporting that bill but um, just pointing out that yeah you're seeing this kind of radical uh yeah, even even violent action being taken out there, and it it's being promoted and encouraged. And uh, it is kind of in in a, in a putting in this context of like yeah, the atheist, leftist kind of uh, seeing this 
postmodernist ideas being uh, adhered to and put out there. And yeah, what is what exactly is postmodern? You, you don't get really a real concise definition of what postmodernist postmodernism is. I I myself personally, I think it's just an it's just a, a continuation of uh, modernism, which is a continuation of the so-called Enlightenment, and which you saw got kicked off pretty good. Uh, what is it, mid-1800s, with the rise of Darwinism and uh, talked about that before. So the Darwinism comes on the scene mid-1800s, mid uh, and then uh, coincidentally, or, or, or maybe not so coincidentally, the uh, dinosaur phenomena bust up on the scene kind of spontaneously around that time supporting the notion that oh yeah the earth is millions of years old and look at all this we have all that we have this evidence that there was you know giant lizards that roamed and then they had the world's fair and the crystal castle and the dinosaur display and but prior to that nobody had heard of a dinosaur nobody knew what it was uh so yeah, the Enlightenment, with the goals in mind of uh, abandoning the authority of the church and going into this age of the so-called age of reason, where you don't need God, you need just to enthrone man as the authority, the the the, the primary authority, which which truly what evolution theory does, it kind of puts puts history and notions about what happened in the past up until now. Uh, seems like the majority of people uh, buy into it. They believe in evolution theory. And um, anytime they go to try to make a case for anything or go into any kind of uh, intellectual discussion or whatever, or, you know, in the case with this... Uh, vegan nonsense like uh you, you hear people advocating for one diet or the other and then either either side both has both kind of necessi necessitates coming forward with, and couching it within you know positioning it within the framework of evolution but um yeah what what does that do i mean it kind of it, it, every time somebody does that it reemphasizes this idea that oh well you know we came out of the pond scum uh, we're just an accident. Uh, the reason why we eat meat or eat vegetables or walk on two feet or look out of our eyes with the front facing eyes out of the front. It's all evolution. Ears on the side of a head. Ev evolution, hair on top of our head, evolution. Everything's, you know, a product of evolution, which and then reinforces the idea that, well, yeah, you actually you really – don't count. You're just some kind of biological, biochemical meat bag that came about by random chance. Uh, so you maybe hear people with good intentions and they're advocating against something they see busting up on the scene that's uh, not correct or not right and they want to oppose it, but then they'll, you know, you got people like Jordan Peterson or people, and then they, they need to couch 
there are they need to position their arguments within this evolutionary framework. And then, you know, once you do, you can make a case for anything. You can uh, point this out, too. With evolution theory, you can make a case for anything, and then you can make a case for its opposite, and it and it equally fits either one. Um, and there's a saying that says, yeah, a theory that explains everything actually explains nothing and I think yeah that's what evolution is it's you can you can confirm or establish anything with it and then you can uh, confirm and establish its opposite and you see that out there and so like yeah so the diet wars or whatever you want to call it you see the same thing uh, where you have people advocating for one side of it that uh yeah, we shouldn't eat meat, and that's our, our our evolutionary ancestors uh, ate plants. And then you got the people saying, "Well, certainly they ate meat," but not to not to go into that or focus in on that, but just focus on it, how evolution theory is used and what it establishes, and and then you have what you see today, where the only thing is, uh, well, our planet. And that we're here, and this is the only life we got, so we got to make the best of it. And our planet's being destroyed, so whatever means necessary to take action to stop it is what we're going to do. And we can lie, cheat, and steal to accomplish that goal. Because there is no real afterlife, there is no punishment for lying or anything else. So, yeah, you'll see a lot of a lot of behavior out there that's just flat out underhanded and uh yeah, in direct opposition what would be considered proper behavior, but oh, it's for the greater good, so it's okay. And yeah, n- Rich Destroy says, next step in evolution is veganism. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that could well be the case, you know? Like, hey, why can't you just evolve to eat only plants or, you know, why not take it a step further and eat only supplements? But, you know, you saw that in the dystopian films where it's, uh, yeah, the future is about, like, either eating out of a tube or eating out of a machine or... You go, you go get your food out of some kind of machine that kind of uh, molecularizes it on on the fly. <laughs> and it's bam, and you got your. I show that in Brave New World. Yeah, if you if there's a BBC Brave New World rendition that's out there that's pretty interesting to look at. It's pretty old, but it's still pretty good. But it's it's it. it, it it shows all that stuff. And, you know, one of the things that go on into the discussion about, um, oh, well, you know, so it's supposed to take place in the future, and, it's, and they're talking about, oh, in the past, that do you know that men and women gave vi- vivif- viviferous birth? I mean, you know, birth, they, the women gave birth to children, and and then there's one of the one of the women that are in the, in the audience there in this, uh, dissertation she she just cringes and recoils at the thought oh oh like animals are you serious 
Yes, and they also ate the flesh of animals. And then, you know, you see somebody else like wretch, like kind of throw up in their mouth at the thought. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's future. Aldous Huxley, the brother of uh, Thomas Huxley that was head of UNESCO, United Nations Education and uh, something organization. Uh that promotes all this stuff and but yeah it has I'm just pointing out that it also has uh, has this very comfortable relationship with uh, atheism and what was in going on in China is atheist communist and then what's the ultimate authority is man right and then when they tell you to jump, you ask, uh, "Oh, how, how high? I'll do it. I, I am a good. I'm a good Chinese communist. I'll go uh, force abortions on my neighbors, and because God told me. I mean, who's God? Well, it's the, it's the uh, emperor, or it's the uh, the premier, or it's the party leadership. That's uh, God." And you're seeing that today. So if you're going to get into a discussion with, um, you know, uh, animal rights uh, slash vegan or, you know, this new new religious belief system, where do they where do they start out at? You know, they say, well, it's unnecessary to eat animals. Well, how how do you know it's unnecessary, man? I mean, like uh, people have been, of course, doing this for thousands of, of years at least and um, it's always been part of uh, human diets uh, you can't point out a single culture that didn't eat animal products there might have been some that were mainly eating plants but they were eating animal products every every single culture that you can point out throughout history I don't think there's one exception well the American Dietetic Association says that it's appropriate for all stages of life, which is interesting if you go and look up their official statement on uh, plant-based diets now, or vegan diets, that they've revised it. They've since changed it, and they've excluded infants because it's, like, obvious that, yeah, you can't you can't feed infants uh, plant slop. Oh, you can, but they'll die. So, I mean, but so they're so they kind of backed off that recommendation. So they since revised that, but just pointing out that they that in order to establish their case, they immediately go to an appeal to authority because you know man is God, and they believe, and I think I think a lot of other people are at this point too. It's like you know they don't they don't push back against that. They say, oh, oh, was that so? Oh yeah, well look it up. Yeah, it's true. Oh, I guess it must be true because this is this is an authority that that's saying it. Uh, never mind the fact that <laughs> you know what 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 was the consensus? Um, uh, what a hundred twenty years ago? That's like well, you, you know how where mice come from and and frogs and it's spontaneous generation. Like if you have like uh like a drawer full of dirty socks and and grain 
I guarantee you, you're going to open it up one of these days, and there's going to be mice in there. What do you think they came from? They spontaneously erupted out of the grain, out of the out of the cloth. Uh, that's what they believed. That's what the I think through through most of the Victorian era or something like that. But yeah, that's spontaneous generation. You can look that up, and that was a fact. Where did frogs come from? Well, they they spontaneous spontaneously erupt out of the mud because you could see them coming up out of the mud. So that there you go. I mean, proof. And then, and that's one thing about scientific evidence and scientific proof. And uh, this reminds me of some like a debate I was listening to, and the, and the guy was debating, and he was talking. They were talking about the the the, the creation event, the Big Bang. And so this guy was making a case for uh, for the Big Bang, everything coming out of nothing for no reason. And so, well, you know, we have this model that's making predictions. So what do you got to say about that? So as if that's kind of like a, a home run out of the ballpark confirmation that, yeah, this is valid. And, and it's like, well... Okay, so go back to the when the theory of spontaneous generation of mice and small animals and flies and stuff was the predominant belief system. Don't you think they made predictions? Oh, yeah, well, I got another confirmation that mice spontaneously erupt. I ran my own little experiment. I, I took a, a big scoop of uh, grain... And I put it in my sock drawer, and the other day, I opened it up, and there was two mice and and three little baby mice in my sock drawer. Uh, Ran an experiment, made a prediction, opened up my sock drawer, and boom, mice. Confirmed, spontaneous generation. Confirmed, uh, yeah, we know it's true. And that's the thing with with science and authority and appeals to authority. It's like you can uh, take it take it on its face as like a matter of fact. But but the thing about even science itself or people that are intimately involved in it, I think a lot of scientists will even admit to this and tell you this and not really have any reservations about doing so it's like well yeah all science is provisional like what does that mean it's it's, it's kind of up up for revision at any time like it's nothing that's put out in a journal about any position statement or anything else or any finding is supposed to be like the end all be all in the last um, word on any subject it's not even it doesn't even purport to be that but yet people take it that way oh i found this paper and this establishes what i believe and therefore since it's in a peer reviewed journal then it therefore must be true and it stands it doesn't even stand as evidence though what it does stand as evidence of is that yes you did search and you did find a paper that does confirm your belief that is true, but is that is the statement or the uh, conclusion in the paper? Um, is that necessarily based on proper proper methodology or uh, 
what what they proclaim. Well, in in most cases, I'll have to say, uh, going back to the subject of like, um, oh, is meat eating bad or is meat eating good? Just just for an example, because going into science and authority, it's 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 that. Yeah, most of the stuff I've seen, I. It, you know, a, a study is conducted and then uh, a conclusion is drawn. And, and I don't even disagree with the conclusion because it'll, it'll come to something with the effect that, yes, we've we've performed the study. We've done these statistical analysis and we've looked at this and uh, we've we've in the abstract, it'll it'll say, well, the conclusion is that uh, meat and processed meat is um, associated with uh, colorectal cancer, as an example. Um, okay. I don't, I don't really, I don't have any disagreement with that. But, but then, on the other hand, it's like, what exactly is this paper saying? There is what? Oh, there's an association. And how do they arrive at that? Well, most of the time, something like that, they, they do these food questionnaire surveys. Okay, what did you eat? What do you normally eat? You know, what are your lifestyle choices or whatever? Check this off, check this off. And they run, they run an analysis off. They say, oh, well, here it is. They checked off. A lot of, most of these check, people that checked off that they eat meat also got cancer. Uh, so there, therefore, there's an association. And and I would say, yeah, absolutely, there is an association. But I would also point out that it, it, it it's absolutely meaningless, and it doesn't mean anything. Because if you wanted to use the same study and then go back and and redo it, and then okay, well, we want to change one thing. Let's put a let's put a question like, do you sleep on a box spring mattress? Yes or no? And then. We got man. We got a lot of people that came back and said yes. Uh, there you go. Colorectal cancer and sleeping on a box spring mattress. There is an association, and you will establish that. Yes, definitely, there is an association there. But who cares? It doesn't mean anything, and that's why you can't get. That's like hard to get across to people. You know, it's like that's like if you look into scientific journals and what the people that run them say like the editor of the lancet i've said this a hundred times at least that you know he he came out and said well you know at least half the literature is false because that the whole system is just you know rigged and screwed up and there's all these other considerations other than getting at the bottom of something or the truth you know and then he, and he goes into and he talks about you know how like yeah we have this publisher parish criteria that uh, professorships and stuff have to adhere to and they have to publish a certain amount of papers and a lot of it's just garbage but you know like and especially like you, you go into something like uh, uh dietary studies and stuff like that and it's just you know you could easily make these associations and then it can make a headline and paper you can get recognition you can get published and what they won't tell you is like that if they conduct a study and it doesn't come out with any kind of result either way that's really conclusive or any suggestive anything, they just don't publish it. So you have this thing called publication bias where it's like, oh, well, this shows an association, which really doesn't mean anything for one thing. But, you know, even if it did, you, 
you're forgetting the fact that they're excluding other papers that don't show the same thing and don't show the same results. So, and then they can run what's called a meta-analysis on all those bogus papers and then think that's even a stronger result. And then you can go look at stuff that's, you know, problems with meta-analysis. And it's like, yeah, you're compounding the problem is what you're doing. But whatever, it's the point being, and the reason why I went into that and brought it up is like uh, it's because – and I think this largely has to do with, like, yeah, an appeal to authority. And what often you'll hear, too, it's like, well, that's uh, epidemiology. And, uh, yeah, we know it's flawed, but it's like the best we got to establish something is true. So, therefore, that somehow makes it legitimate. It's like, well, no, not really. It may be the best you got. Let's say, um, you know, you're going to take a road trip. And the best you got is a uh, maybe a, a golf cart that you you bought off somebody for fifty bucks. That's the best I got. It's not going to get you on the freeway, man. You can't take it on the. It's not going to get you on the freeway. It's not going to get you to your destination because you're not really going to be able to. You know, it's not going to. It's not going to travel down the road. You're not going to be able to do it. But is it the best you got? Yeah. But is it is it is it gonna is it is it gonna get you to the truth or is it gonna get you to point B? No. So that's what the epidemiology. But it's like yeah, associations and stuff, and it's like that doesn't even. I mean, critically think about it and look at it. It doesn't even make any sense to use that to establish what you think it means. It doesn't. But it's like, well, they have to publish something. It's like, yeah, why don't do a food survey and put it out there and we could draw these associations and um, publish them in a journal and pretend like they mean something. And then they really don't. And, you know, I I bet if you were to take those people conducting the study and you were to really do a serious sit down with them and went through all this stuff, they would probably admit it. It's like, yeah, but, you know, hey, it's science and, you know, this is what we do. This is what you know. It's publish or perish. We got to come out with some stuff, and it, and it, and it, and we did find an association. Well, yeah, you did, but then isn't it kind of like deceptive to um, imply that it has some significance or meaning? It's like, yeah, well, no, nobody's, nobody's. Uh, we didn't say correlation. It's like, well, yeah, I know you didn't, but anyway, yeah. But then it's like. And I think that that those conditions and everything were set up for this purpose, among other things, is like to 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 have this out there that, and then you can you can indoctrinate people and propagandize them, and then yeah, next thing you know, they're uh, um, going vegan because like oh, there's all the science out there, but they don't even understand science. They don't question the premise, and they go forward with this um, health destroying diet, and. Uh, but you know it's 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 based in appeal to authority, and then you got the majority of people that I've noticed out there are, are atheists. So yeah, the ultimate authority or God is the government. And if you're going to take the position that you're questioning the government, you're a conspiracy theorist, and then your opinion doesn't matter because um, everybody knows that the government is God. And if you don't recognize and acknowledge him as God, then you're a heretic and a science denier. 
dino denier. Oh, you don't believe in dinosaurs? Man, you're you're you are an idiot. It's like, well, that's another thing I got looking to into again recently is dinosaurs, and and um, I I'm not um, a fan of Eric DeBay. The flat he's he's a flat earther and all. I mean, I'm not. But that that video he he put out on on dinosaurs, um, and he did credit the guy that he based a lot of that stuff on because I went I went back on and I read the post that's on this website that where uh, Eric DeBay got a lot of that inf- information from, which like I said Eric DeBay does credit him, which is which is good. But uh, he did Eric DeBay did a really good job putting in a video form and. Um, And all the different points made. So I I kind of went and kind of examined the whole Bone Wars, where supposedly you have uh, Orthaniel Cope and Marsh that were commissioned by the Royal Society with uh, and then came to the United States and they find all these dinosaurs which nobody ever found before but that established uh, it gave physical evidence to the idea that um, the theory of dinosaurs which was proposed uh, 10 or 15 years earlier believe by Sir Richard Owen and um, and then oh lo and behold we go and find dinosaurs like we knew they were there um, and we found a bunch of them and nobody else finds them but we, we found them like the Indians didn't find them none of the early settlers found any when they were plowing up fields digging mines digging tunnels for trains uh, tearing up mountains for train tracks all this stuff that was going on then in the new frontier uh they never stumbled across any dino bones that were recognizable but somehow cope and marsh did and they found them in abundance it's like yeah the more i think about it the more ridiculous that that idea is and the more fantastical and unbelievable it is and I think it, it kind of has really sunk in right now, where I'm like, "Oh man, this is just such a a, a a blatant fraud that was perpetrated on people." And I said, "I want to go look because there's got to be they had photography then, and you can find all kind. I mean, mid 1800s, yeah, there was f- photographs of everything, and certainly before that, f- photography was commonplace." Very scant photographic record of the digs that they were conducting, because that would not be part of the documentation and confirmation that they dug these things out of the ground. Is to have a photograph of the bones and recognizable as a dinosaur being like half in the ground and half out, and they're taking this out of the ground. There is like I can only find like. Two. I'm not saying there's not more out there, but I could only find two. I recall seeing some other ones that I ran across, and I could, and and I and I kind of have an idea. I remember what they looked like, but I couldn't find those. 
But um, yeah, where where is that evidence of the digs, the exav- excavations? <laughs> I look look into yourself. I I can't find it. Maybe you could find it. I I I couldn't I couldn't find it. I don't I don't know where it's at. If there is, but you'd think that would be there, right? And what got what prompted me to do that? I I saw this video on YouTube and they were talking about oh how brontosaurus is not really brontosaurus because they accidentally put the wrong skull on it and so you know you see these stories out there so that if you put in dinosaur hoax you're going to get a story like that oh we made a mistake and we put the wrong head on the oh look at us we're so we're so bumbling we we don't have our historical accuracy about what happened you know 65 million years ago spot on correct we got the we oh we we flubbed up and we got the wrong head on the wrong it's like give me a break no i mean you see what they're doing it's like yeah we'll 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 put all these stories out so if somebody's like curious and they put in dinosaur hoax we'll give them something to look at you know it's oh there's this controversy within the dinosaur community and it's like no they started that day one with cope and marsh they had they had this rivalry it's like oh yeah come on well no rivalry but one thing that is said and i said on that side it's like uh yeah one one guy would steal a shipment of bones that was meant for the other guy and, and then then the question arises okay i thought they were the ones finding the bones why are they getting bones shipped to them but you know I, I guess you're not supposed to look at it that way. Uh, but yeah, the bone wars, and it's like, yeah, they wanted to, they wanted to, w- wanted to set this narrative up in the in the press where oh, there's this rivalry. So it gives you the perception that oh yeah, they're they're really digging stuff up, and um, uh, because if it was a fraudulent dig, then they the one would expose the other because they're rivals, right? But I read somewhere else, too, that they discovered um, among the other, like, 140 species of dinosaurs. And subsequently, every single one of them, except for, like, 30 of them, have turned out to be fabrications. So um, uh, that's interesting. I didn't hear about that before. But, um, yeah, so you can uh, have – you position it in a way and you set up the narrative in a way so that it you have all this plausible deniability built in and they said oh yeah of course some of them were fake because they were had they had this competition this fierce competition and they had to outdo each other by making fakes and 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 putting together stuff that you know so yeah so you have this narrative built up and within this narrative you have all this kind of things that can point oh that's the result of the rivalry see and yeah, oh, well, this is a completely, obviously fake dinosaur that you made out of plaster. Oh, we'll see, that was because there was this rivalry, right? And they had, and, 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 and Cope and Marsh were at odds, and they, and they, they were motivated by, you know, this, this um, heated, heated dispute between them, and that's, that's why they did that, see? It's like, oh, okay, but it doesn't mean dinosaurs aren't real, and they weren't really digging them up. Oh, okay. Of course not. No. Why would it? Why? Why would a totally fake, fraudulent uh, evidence dissuade you from believing in it? Why? You know. Yeah. Right. Why? Why would it? You know. Same thing with Lucy. We talked about that before. Is like, yeah, Owen Lovejoy, and they have them on. They they have like it's in a documentary. It's like PBS. 
And it, it's kind of hard to find that snippet, but it's probably out there. It's like, yeah, he, t- he takes he takes this so-called Lucy, the skeleton, which is like some kind of a chimpanzee, and he takes the pelvis and he puts it in his bench grinder and he makes the he makes the pelvis more flat so it can be more ape-like. And that's out there, and you can look at it, and it's like people believe in this evolution theory like it's it's gospel and dinosaurs too man like like it's like a um gospel like you you deny it and you're and you are crazy you're automatically crazy it's like well no if you're really interested in dinosaurs uh why don't you look into the history of them where they came from and when that got when the whole idea got started and and then if you have a three or four neurons in your brain that are capable of uh, maybe one quadrant of one one of your four functioning neurons can um, activate a, a critical thought somehow, then you would know that's bunk. The whole story behind dinosaurs is bunk. It's, it's total bunk. I mean, like... Are, are you that big a believer in just wild coincidences and luck? It's like, I'm not. I'm not. It's like, um, what would be an analogy? I don't know. Like, uh, like some couple is on a honeymoon on a, uh, I, I guess in the Caribbean, and they're out enjoying like uh, their vacation and and the wife drops the engagement ring in the ocean and then loses it and then her sister goes on vacation there 10 years later or maybe her daughter no her daughter goes on vacation there uh 15 years later orders a fish taco at a taco stand and they didn't clean the fish good and 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 she bites into the taco and bites into her mother's ring and it's like oh i found mom's what is this it's a wedding oh it's an engagement ring and it's gc's inscription that it belonged to her mother yeah like that story would you believe that i don't think i would that's a great story but no i mean like what would be the astronomical odds against something like that would be preposterous but yeah It'd be a great story, though. But, like, yeah, finding the bone in the ground would be like that, which is which is hilarious because you'll have people arguing for Darwinism, and then you point out, like, uh, Stephen Jay Gould, and he come up with the theory of punctuated equilibria. And the whole point of coming up with that theory is because he said one of the trade secrets of paleontology was the uh, absence of transitional fossils in the so-called fossil record. So it's like, well... You know Stephen Jay Gould. He's a true believer. It's not gonna. It's not gonna dissuade him and his belief whatsoever because it's, it's not based on evidence. It's based on belief. Uh, it says, "Well, hey, this is a great opportunity for me to come up with another cockamamie theory to explain the absence of evidence." So he came up with punctuated equilibrium, which means like, oh well, uh, biological life forms will stay in a in a in, in a well, he's, they call it stasis, where it's they're they're in the same kind of body, general body plan for eons, and then uh, 
something will happen in the environment and then they'll kind of spontaneously very relatively abruptly turn into something else through accrued mutations in in a relatively short period of time and then never really define that because they can't quantify what steps and how that would come about. But anyway, punctuated equilibrium to to point out the fact that there's no transitional fossils in the fossil record and then they'll come back and argue, well, see, that's because fossilization is rare. That's why you don't find them. And but if you listen to another Darwinist, they'll tell you, oh, we have them in an abundance. We, we don't have any shortage whatsoever of transitional fossils. But anyway, they're rare, and we don't have them. Uh, the fossilization is rare, yet we found like 40 T-Rexes, and, and the overwhelming majority of the finds happen with um, – university-funded dino hunting expeditions. Like, they go out to hunt them, and then they, lo and behold, find them. And the recent one that was famous was the um, Sioux T-Rex. And it's the first of its kind, uh, 95% intact T-Rex. And the story how they find that, oh, yeah, of course, it was a university-funded expedition. And it was on somebody's private land. They got permission to go find it. And they were about to abandon this one area. And uh, they happened to get a flat tire. And one of the members of the Team Sue, Wajajewski or whatever her last name was, that discovered this dinosaur, Saw it, saw its femur bone in the in a in a sandstone cliff wall, <laughs> and they dug it up, and it was the most beautiful intact T Rex ever. And the guy that owned the property, he said, "I've been past that area a hundred times, and I've never seen that." It's like, no, you got to have the special, uh, I guess, X ray vision or something that the. Or, or dino vision that they they can look in these paleontologists and look into the ground and see them, but um, where you can't, you're gonna think, oh, that's just a rock sticking out. No, that's a that's a T Rex femur. You dummy. Uh, and then we're supposed to believe that, but yeah, they're rare, incredibly rare to where we don't have any transitional fossils. But at the same time. These expeditions that go out to find them, and it, and it's like needle in a haystack. You can't even use that as an, a fitting analogy because it would be it'd be more like my uh, engagement ring and a fish taco analogy to the rarity of the finds of these things. If you really if you really try to conceptualize like how difficult that would be to find something like that that would be rare in the ground buried in the ground 65 million years give me a break come on stupid yeah and it's right there on the surface but it's 65 million years okay just dumb it's just dumb like but but the ubiquity of that belief is so pervasive and so powerful and why is it because um yeah, it's an authority told me, and they showed me pictures, and they showed me bones. But um, 
I, I might could bring up, well, you know, around that same era, mid-1800s, Mormonism busted up on the scene. And uh, you know what? They, they do archaeological digs around the United States, and you know what they figured out? They figured out they are the white descendants of the true nation of Israel that came over uh, ages ago, and that establishes the Book of Mormon as true. Because how would they be able to predict that uh, in the book of Nehemiah or whatever? And then lo and behold, they go out. They have this, you know, this tablet of gold that was given to Joseph Smith, and it says, and it tells them all this. You know, the early Israelite that came to the Americas, and they do they do excavations and digs uh, commissioned by the Mormons. And oh, guess what? They found the proof all over the country <laughs> just like the dinosaur people they went out they had their theory and they went out and found it it's like okay so you have the same criteria and they have the same uh you know theory preceding the findings and all that stuff that you have with dinosaurs but yet the majority of people believe in dinosaurs and and if I, but if i wanted to kind of point out that yeah they dug up some the mormons dug up some stuff and they figured out that mormonism's true uh so we'll see in church sunday oh no what are you talking about you're crazy that's religious bunkum it's like oh but you know you believe in dinosaurs of course of course i believe in dinosaurs it's like why the the lab coat men told me and 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 i saw a, a, a tv show and they had um, dinosaurs walking and eating fish and uh, fighting and stuff on TV. It's like, mm, yeah, okay, yeah, help yourself to that because I like I actually took a little bit of time and looked into the claim and like now I'm totally 100% convinced that's uh, they're right in the same category of. As the Mormons, because what am I talking about? Western establishment science that pushes the dinosaur idea. Their 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 whole criteria of ex establishing something is right around the same time and right in line with like what the exactly what the Mormons did. So I don't I don't know why I would refuse the one and accept the other because I don't know either group. I've never met the. Copen Marsh or any of those people or whatever that was making those claims and, and the people nowadays that um, the few elite, very um, compartmentalized, scientific, specialized field of pa paleontology, and then you further break it down into this exclusive field of dino paleontology dealing with big dinos. You're, you're talking about very small handful of people, very, you know, a handful of people that actually go out and find T-Rexes and stuff. Now, there's a, probably a majority of paleontologists, they find fossils, but they're, they're you know, uh, regular toad fossil or something. But, um, no, they believe it. They believe it. They believe it. I was told it, and I saw it on TV. Um, Rich Destroy is asking me in the chat... How do you define dinosaur? Which is a really good question. Um, 
I would because uh, um, that's a good point. Because are you talking about like a crocodile? Because that's a dinosaur, I guess. It's a big giant lizard looking thing, and they're still alive. So I guess no, that doesn't count. So yeah, you get in some vagaries. But um, I'm, th- I'm talking about mainly these like T Rexes and Brontosauruses and stuff, where they you know have websites dedicated that are. By scientists, they're not science deniers or dinosaur dino deniers. They're trying to figure out how do these damn things walk around without their bones snapping in half because they they understand biology enough to be able to figure out that that yeah those are those are too damn big um, to live. So they so they go back and forth, but they know they live because they other scientists told them. But they know enough about biology to know that okay, this is we got a problem here because these damn things are too big, and that, but they have they go through all these kind of mental gymnastics and equations and stuff, and then proposals about the atmosphere was different, and they they mainly stayed in water, they were mainly aquatic and 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 all this other mumbo jumbo, and they floated and they had air in their bones, and somehow they having air pockets in the bones. They were able to have air pockets in their bones like birds, but yet be able to hold up tons of weight. Just all kinds of mental contortions to establish it. I'm talking about that, yeah. And Paul or T-Rex that, like, he's got this big giant head and front torso, and then the tail's supposed to counterbalance it. Like, if you, if it was a real creature, uh, it would fall flat on its face because people have pointed that out. And then... Like you look at a seat, and it's like, mm, yeah, that. If I was to see a T Rex track, and then a big emu, because they had purportedly big emus, big birds, ostriches type birds and stuff back in the day, pre, so called prehistoric. I don't believe in prehistoric or whatever, but uh, there was a type of big bird that was like twice or three times the size of like a current birds we have now which get pretty big that lived in uh oh, southeast asia or something that went it's not too long ago went extinct the moa bird or something um so is that a dinosaur the moa bird big old giant bird but if you were to look at its footprints i bet you would look a heck of a lot like a t-rex track if you know what i'm saying so how do you know the difference well you got to call in the experts so you don't have anything out there that you can go look at out in the real world that would establish as dinosaurs, like old tracks that got uncovered somehow, like in the Pluxy River in Texas, because that's not officially acknowledged as dino tracks. But I've looked at those, and they look a lot like bird tracks, so I, was, I would I would want to know, like, how how is not not a track of something like a big moa bird? Because that's exactly what it would look like, three-toed and big old bird foot oh no that's dinosaur it's like oh, okay you say so um so that proves that so that it's like the christian groups latched onto it says oh that proves that di- dinosaurs walked with men because they have like ma- man tracks and they have dino tracks and it's like yeah but um that's not going to be officially acknowledged because uh, that doesn't fit evolution so they shut it down, and then, yeah, they used to have parks in that area that had had 
the tracks on display, and you can go see them, but they, I guess, covered them up and shut that down. But anyway, does that prove that there's dinosaurs? I used to think so. I said, well, yeah, that proves the dinosaurs walked with man. And it's nowadays, it's like, oh, I don't know, it could have been a dinosaur, it could have been a giant bird. But um, they have Komodo dragons. And uh, I believe in, where are, they, where, where are they at? Somewhere in East Asia or, or in the, around uh, Malaysia, Singapore, stuff. Yeah, that are like uh, Komodo dragons, big old lizards. Are those dinosaurs? I don't, I don't think so. But they're big lizards. They're still alive. The lobe fin fish was supposed to be a prehistoric fish. It's still alive. Uh, this definition of dinosauria, a group of extinct reptiles widely distributed from the Triassic to the Mesozoic, initially dif- differing little from the general generalized long-tailed quadrupedal common ancestors of modern birds and crocodilians, but later become specialized for chief, chiefly terrestrial carnivorous or herbivorous modes of life into distinct bipedal and quadrupedal groups, the latter including the largest known land animals. Uh, yeah. No, I don't believe in the Jurassic period. I, I In those periods where... Because another thing, too, it's like you can go find where supposed dinosaur fossils, they look a lot like birds, and they're in the same strata layer as known modern birds, and a lot of paleontologists are pointing this out, and they're saying, well, how could the birds be the descendants of dinosaurs if you're finding modern birds with dinosaurs? And the ones that are held out as dinosaurs, there's a dispute of whether or not they're actually birds. And then, of course, on top of that, you got the fake fossil industry in China that's putting out, like, total fakes, and they're combining shit together and putting it out there. So I'm talking about what the real evidence is out there. And if you factor all this stuff in, it's like there's nothing. There's nothing really to go off of. Except for like Sue, you know, T Rex and the and the and the bones, which is very questionable when you look at like how they were found, where they're you know, and what, under what circumstances they were found. Um, yeah, so that that kind of stuff. I don't. I'm not. I don't doubt that there's fossils. I've seen fossils. I've seen fossils out in the. Uh, but they were. Um, what do they call those? Uh, look like big shells like snail shells but they're uh, some kind of aquatic creature that lived um not trilobites but um um anyway i think people know what i'm talking about but yeah these dinosaurs are made up the whole story was made up and i think they came up with a lot of just fictional renditions where they reconfigured the bones of uh whales and and things and used their imagination and came up with these mythological creatures that supposedly roamed the earth millions of years ago and that set the stage for belief in evolution because it's like oh yeah what did god change his mind and wipe the dinosaurs out and you know you know we got all this evidence now and it's like ah no they really don't 
yeah, I mean, if you look at the older, earlier skeletons and stuff, and the and the models, they look pretty stupid. So they've gotten better, and they've they've improved in their um, artistry. Dinosaurs as an art form, you can look at that too. Like you look at the displays at Crystal Palace, and it's like, yeah, so it's got this big giant lizard with these big giant feet, and it just looks klutzy and stupid that doesn't look like anything that would actually live on the earth and that's supposedly iguanodon and if you look at the rendition of iguanodon today it's completely totally different um so it's revised and i saw something not too long ago too with t-rex had bigger arms than it's normally portrayed so i think they're in the process of revising t-rex to give to give them some beefier arms because his arms look pretty pathetic and stumpy so yeah they'll just kind of gradually revise it and also this is based on new findings new findings or we kind of realized that he looked too it looked stupid for and people were pointing that out so we beefed up his arms yeah i don't think i don't think t-rex is ever real but it, it it's like yeah they needed to come up with this apex predator back in the day and then it's kind of the the equivalent to kind of like I guess a modern day uh, lion or something of the modern day like this the the ultimate predator beast roaming the earth and then uh, so yeah they did the clever uh, story bit of storytelling and uh, and then it's been turned into countless cartoons and books and stuffed animals and models and imaginary paintings and all this other stuff that uh, sets it in concrete um, works of art letters of art um, yeah being an artist myself it, it that concept or that idea it it, it totally resonates with me because um i could i could see how that can easily be done and one of the pictures i want to man i have this saved in my notes but i, I don't want to spend time here digging it up maybe i could find it real quick da da bow 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 the bone wars think it's here yeah i'll put this in uh chat i hope this one has this specific image so this has images of the digs um of the bone wars and uh yeah working at the bone cabin quarry during the first year in 1808 so in the foreground, so they're in this pit, and in the foreground it looks like the spinal column, but that doesn't look like the spinal column of anything that ever would have lived. And if you look at, uh, <clears throat> take that spinal column, because that's what it has to be, either a tail or spinal column or whatever, and go and compare it to what they'll show you in museums, because like it's, it's, it's like a 
very ham-handed rendition of a spinal column. But you have to look at it to know what I'm talking about. And then on the lower left of this page, it looks like one of the, like a gentleman is like prostate on the ground here, and he's got this big giant leg, dinosaur leg or a foot or whatever, and the bones are the same color and texture as the surrounding dirt. And like I said, if you're artistic, if you've ever done anything like that, if you've ever done any sculpture, you ever messed around with stuff, you'd look how just how just basic and rudimentary that would be to carve that out of the ground like that, to use the existing dirt to the way it's done. They said the way that Da Vinci made his sculptures, like, oh, that's such a beautiful rendition of David. Like, how do you do it, man? How do you... So I start with the granite, and I just take off everything that doesn't look like David. That's how he sculpted. So that you just take out every... You just move all the dirt around that doesn't look like a dinosaur bone. And then you get a dinosaur... Let me put this in the chat. But yeah, examining these... And that's what I'm talking about. It's like, there's very few... Photos of the digs, and I do recall seeing one that I ran across of the purported digs, the early digs, and I swear the bones were supposed dinosaur bones, and they were shown as photograph, and maybe the maybe that's being scrubbed off the internet. That's why I couldn't find that one again because I that that I believe that definitely does happen. You get the you get the uh, memory hole. And they start, people start looking into this stuff and then they start scrubbing. Pop, pop, pop. Okay, wait a minute. What? Oh, there it is. Come on. Did it go? Man. Is it in the chat? I can't see it. Oh, okay. I gotta scroll down, down, down. Right. Censorship. Talkshoe doesn't want questioning of dinos. I, yeah. Oh, did you lose audio? Can you all hear me out there? Can someone confirm? I hear now. Okay. Can you hear me now? But uh, take a look at that and tell me that it doesn't look like, because I think that's what they do. Not maybe in every instance, but they'll go out there and they'll find like a good rocky piece of ground, maybe that's sandstone. And coincidentally and happenstancely, sandstone is the same. If, if you find sandstone, that's supposed to be Jurassic period. But the funny thing about sandstone, it, it lends itself to, like, you can make some pretty nice intricate carvings directly into sandstone, just coincidentally. And, um, yeah, I thought that's interesting, too. Yeah, this dress period, you can find sandstone. It's like, oh, that happens to be, like, an ideal strata to do some carving in the ground, if you wanted to. And you can go look up dinosaur excavations and digs 
and uh, some of them out there, it's like, man, it's for all the world. If you're looking at it for the, that perspective, like critically, like, is that not carved out of rock? It, did they not get some dude that's good at carving and get a team of people and go down there and carve bones out of rock? Now, is that possible? Certainly is possible. How do you know they're not doing that? It's like, why would they do that, Chris? They're scientists. It's like, no, there's all this incentive to keep this mythology going. And you can make a lucrative career for somebody in the know. And you only need a relative handful of these people around the globe. And Cope and Marsh, like, they got into it and made millions of dollars off their dinosaur finds. And then they pass down the knowledge to their children, so they they're set for generations. The dinosaur bone making formula, and uh, set up an industry, and the and the World's Fair helped kick that off. Like they tell you what's going to be the new trend, and everybody kind of follows it slavishly. Does sandstone have marrow still in left inside, like dino bones? Rich Destroy says. That's a good question. Does it still have marrow left inside? Um, I I don't think... Well, that's a good question because I should point out that I don't believe that every dinosaur bone is going to be uh, fabricated in the same manner. So um, there's, there's different methodologies, I believe, that to fabricate and then a good question to be so like yeah how do they report finding soft tissue in you know 65 million year old t-rex bone well it turns out that if you look into it they've they that's there's been numerous dinosaur bone finds that they find soft tissue and that's a really good question that that i still honestly don't know what that's about i mean i think that would confirm beyond any reasonable doubt that they're not 65 million years old if they have soft tissue in them but then on the other hand can you have soft tissue in something that you dug out of the ground that's 100 years old or even 200 years old or 500 years old let alone a thousand or two thousand i mean I just don't know. I don't even know how that's even possible. I don't know. That's that's now one explanation could be is that you know since was Schweitzer Mary Schweitzer the woman that is uh, was actually the first one of the first paleontologists to come public with it because they said there's been multiple paleontologists that ran across this in the past but usually what happens they say something about it and they immediately get fired but like she talked about it and I guess some for some reason she's got enough connections or knows people or did it in such a way where it didn't get her in trouble and then it's out there and it's in the public knowledge but uh, saying that oh yeah the tissue and it's remarkably like ostrich it's just like ostrich it's like this is a female. We know this from studying ostriches because it had this particular cell configuration that we know that it was a pregnant ostrich. I said, wow, that's interesting. Maybe it, maybe because it's an ostrich bone. 
And so ostriches don't get that big. And it's like, I don't really know that for a fact, but um, um, according to legend, there was much bigger birds than ostriches. And are they still around? And maybe they're just kind of sequestered somewhere where people don't know about them, and that's what's being used to co- to construct these fakes. And uh, so that they, they're real authentic and they're made with real bone and maybe partially fake bone or whatever that and then they can hand that over to a trained scientist and it even fools them uh i don't know that's just speculation i don't like to really go into too much speculation but um that would be but as far as uh explanations go for why they're finding soft tissue i think that would be a pretty good one because i don't i really don't i really don't believe that it's possible to have hundreds of years old soft tissue in the ground, let alone millions of years or even thousands of years. So, yeah, that's a good question. Is anybody calling in? Has anybody tried the Beyond Burger? You want to give your testimony of how you recently went vegan? Yeah, I think too. Like people think, oh, I'm like I, I I'm so strongly opposed against eating plants or whatever. I, I I don't really care what anybody eats. I mean, like if that's what they like and that's what they're doing, I don't. Yeah, I don't have a big I don't have a big issue with that. I'm just talking about it as a social social movement, a phenomenon. That's that's why I'm intrigued by it. Um, yeah, and the diet and health aspects of it, but um, I'm more more interested in it from the perspective of it being a social movement. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of people out there that are now coming on the scene with YouTube channels countering the propaganda that's out there. And one guy, I like to watch his channel. Is, uh, he's got Primal Edge Health Channel. is a good one on YouTube. Uh, there's, um, a couple of others out there. Some of it's kind of inside baseball, but, uh, the, the guy Tristan over at Primal Edge Health, Jay Dyer has been on his program multiple times and they have some really good, interesting discussions about, uh, yeah, this environmentalist religion and where it got started. And, and they, they bring up subjects like Marie Strong and uh, the whole climate change agenda 21 green new deal uh earth charter initiative and all this stuff club of rome uh the uh proclamation of, of you know we you know we looked around we're going to find a new enemy to unite mankind behind and we figured out that global warming and and climate change and famine and uh all that would fit the bill. We thought that would that would do. So yeah, and then it's, yeah, you don't you don't. They didn't say that they you know were coming and confronting this actual problem that was out there. They said, oh, we can hype this up and use this to unite everybody behind. Since I guess the whole Cold War thing had been played out, and then the whole. Uh, you know, setting up countries uh, opposition to each other that was going to kind of be phased out. And they said, well, well, we'll come up with this global warming thing to unite everybody behind. 
That's just what they say. I mean, it's right there in the Club of Rome um, document. What was the name of that particular document? Um, I have to look it up. Do, 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 do. Club of Rome. Uh, the first global revolution, a report by the Council of the Club of Rome. <clears throat> you can look that up. So I brought up Maurice Strong a couple of times. And uh, so I got his Wikipedia page up here. It's talking about Maurice Strong. So he died in 2015. <clears throat> so it goes into like, yeah, he's this Canadian oil man, billionaire. And he's all up in in this United Nations promoting the idea that we're killing the planet with carbon dioxide. They said that he was one of the early first promoters of this idea, the carbon dioxide horseshit nonsense. And he's an oil man, a longtime oil man. Was up until he had, he had those holdings and interest up until the time of his death. He was on the UN Security General's council something or another like that on the with the UN um, goes down and talks about him so there's some controversy surrounding him certainly was <clears throat> because he was pretty f flagrant hypocrite because uh, that's going to cause controversy it says Marie Strong was no stranger to skepticism and criticism as a result of his lifelong involvement in the oil industry, juxtaposed with his heavy ties to the environment. Some wonder why an oil man, quote unquote, would be chosen to take on such a coveted and respected environmental positions. One of Strong's companies, uh, Desolaros Ecologicos, Ecological Development, uh, built a $35 million luxury hotel within the Grandosa Manzillo wildlife refuge in Costa Rica where development is restricted and must be approved by the Kikoldi Indian Association, which it was not. He, Strong, supported supporting Indians and conservation around the world, and here he's doing the complete opposite, lamented uh, Demetrio Mayajura, president of the Kikoldi Indian Association. So, yeah, so he's developing and building on this pristine, beautiful... Uh, nature wildlife refuge that was <laughs> off limits to development but he went ahead and put a 35 million dollar luxury hotel there uh, further skepticism arose due to his continual promotions of titles of power likely due to political connections additionally strong was involved in several legal battles and scandals over the years where he conveniently seemed to rescue himself from the situation before held personally responsible so he's just this uh Global uh, wheeler, dealer, player, uh, arch-villain, charlatan, conniver, uh, scammer, um, in league with all kinds of shady dealers. And he's this, but he's this 
so concerned about the planet and he's all about saving the world by warning everybody about climate change. But this article here goes into, and this is from therebel.media. Pretty interesting stuff. Uh, what did it say? I was going to read part of this. Uh, Marie Strong is dead, but the damage he, he did will carry on. I don't hold the belief that you should not speak ill of the dead. If they are evil and alive, they are no less so in death. Their ability to cause more evil diminishes, but what they did in life lingers and hurts long after they are gone. Marie Strong passed away at the eve of the Paris Climate Conference. I don't know where he died, although it was likely in China. He lives there because, like Pierre and Justin Trudeau, he has great admiration for Mao Zedong and the current political hybrid of communism-capitalism I call state capitalism. His aunt, uh, Anna Louise Strong, served as an advisor to Mao while his reign of murder and terror was in full swing. It's interesting. Uh, in 1953, Strong, like Pierre Trudeau, toured communist China. He also lived there at the end of his life because of the U.S. government sought charges of fraud for his involvement in the oil for food crisis during the Iraq War. There was a photocopy of a check of almost one million made out to him. So, yeah, when they had the Iraq War going on and they had the trade embargoes and shit and they couldn't get any food, Marie Strong set up a scam like, well, I'll, I, I can get you all some food, but I, I'm going to need some oil. And, yeah, so that was upsetting to some people. I think it's just too blatant of a scam. you got to be more discreet than that. Oh, world leaders are gathered to perpetuate the socialist agenda strong established using climate and environment as a Trojan horse. He created the United Nations Environmental Program, UNEP, that in turn produced Agenda 21. So, yeah, he was the founder of that program where Agenda 21 came out of. That's why I keep bringing them up. And false climate science and the intergovernmental plan. And wait a minute. So, yeah, they set up this inter intergovernmental panel on climate change, too. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, the claim that human CO2 is causing climate change is the biggest deception in history, as Elaine Dewar explained in her book, Cloak of Green, after spending five days with Strong at the U.N. Strong was using the U.N. as a platform to sell a global environment crisis and the global... And the global governance agenda. So, yeah, and it goes on talking about it. I'll put this in the chat. But see, you know, there again, it's like, yeah, he's just... Globalist, billionaire, atheist, in league with the atheist, communist, Chinese, and pushing hard on the climate change and the and you think of it too in terms of being a religion has all the all the checks off all the check boxes of a religion. So you have the the climate, the the um, like, if you if you go vegan for the climate, you're you're adopting like what all the religious, many many religious groups all throughout history have done, and where they have like some kind of tie-in 
to some sort of ritual or sacrament you, you need to be involved in and fasting and food, uh, denying yourself a certain food. So that's very common in religions. You have that with this and people doing it for the animals. So you're bringing in this sort of like uh, uh, pantheism kind of ideal. Uh, and you're bringing in well, with it the earth worship and then also the idea where they have like their rendition of hell where the future burning up of the planet if we don't make restitution for our sins of eating animals and driving cars um, so you have sin but it's like your sin is hurting the planet and uh, and it's also tied in with all this other intersectionalist stuff with uh, um, of course identity politics and and all that so yeah your your sins today are if you drive uh, like a suburban and you call somebody a tranny then those are only recognized sins now. Anything else goes. And, yeah, you're, you're killing the planet. And now being brought into that is like you're eating meat. So that's something that's been kind of commonplace throughout all history with religion is like, yeah, abstinence from meat. Um, yeah, the Catholic Church does it. Uh uh, Jay and Tristan are talking about yeah how the Eastern Orthodox Church also does it like this is all, all religions do this um, most of them but you have that and um, yeah so they have some uh, what is, what is this too and I think I think if you're gonna go through and tie tie a lot of it together. And kind of put it under the umbrella of secular humanism, uh, atheism, and want to bring in you know everybody under that under that uh, category. Then like, oh, what is their version of Satan? Would be like obviously Hitler. He is literally Satan. For, I mean, for some reason you could point. I mean, if you wanted to go point out all the mass murder and stuff that was conducted by Chairman Mao and. Uh, Pol Pot and Stalin and all that, somehow that pales in comparison even though in the aggregate I, I guess they killed over 100 million people and, and yet Hitler kills 6 million but then he's like literally Satan but they get a pass. That's interesting but anyway yeah, he, he, he would be the devil. Um, then so yeah you have all, all this kind of uh, um, all, all these parallels to uh, whether well, the secular humanists have have all their um, parallels to like you know if you wanted to point out like uh, circumcision in in being a Judaic tradition, uh, the sacrament today would be having your child like if it's a male having their penis cut off and having uh, breasts sewn onto them. And calling him a girl, and that's like a that's like a religious child uh, sexual mutilation ritual. Uh, that that's secular, and then you know there's the there's the 
uh, same thing that goes on with circumcision, and, and then in the case with the Muslims, they have the they cut the they cut the girl's um, clitoris off or something. So they have the genital genital demutilation checkbox on your religion. Check that off. Uh, yeah, what else? Um, Yeah, they have the priesthood, which is like uh, the science popularist, you know, like uh, Bill Nye, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Michael Shermer, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris. Uh, And then you could throw in there like doctors, lawyers, attorneys, judges sort of like all all encompasses priesthood class especially scientists um what else yeah secular humanism and religion yeah they definitely have their list of sins things that are taboo or off limits um and that's to criticize anything that's uh deals with sexual promiscuity or um yeah especially if you point out that oh yeah homosexuality spreads disease and uh and all that that's that would be a sin if pointing that out but at the same time it's supposed to be you have this kind of utilitarian philosophy that's being brought in a lot of people are starting to to use the phraseology and stuff out of that and using terms like yeah maximizing well-being they said well yeah i mean these promiscuous actions don't really maximize well-being if you're looking at at the perspective of like getting like uh anal cancer or something which is predominates like gay community and stuff but that's not really i don't i don't know how that uh, how do you reconcile that with well-being and and um, promoting well-being? It's kind of be the same thing as like promoting like people's right to be alcoholics. You know, it's like yeah, it's damaging to their health, but if you say anything against it, you're bad. It's like yeah, well, same with not just homosexual, but promiscuous behavior in general. How damaging it is, and how it's proven to be damaging, and it's like. But still, at the same time, it's like the sacrament, so you can't criticize it uh, because then you're then you're being uh, prejudicial toward like what what about even like like say you're against that and you have like a heterosexual that's hyper promiscuous and you're pointing out that's like hey that's not that's not conducive to well being in in the long run well it's, yeah it is definitely in the short term but not in the long run but. Um, yeah, so this this idea of well-being and stuff, it's just it's it's, it's just so uh yeah, if you look at the utilitarian philosophy, it's like, well, how do you even define it and what exactly do you mean? And when you're when you're looking at situations where you may have some idea what would be well-being, but then you could have like 
you could point out something that we're, is certainly not going to result in well-being in the long run. How do you reconcile those two things, and which and which which type of well-being would take precedence of the over the other, and for what reason and how? They can't answer any of that stuff. They just have this kind of vague thing that they appeal to, like well-being and reduction of harm and reduction of suffering and increasing of well-being. It's the most vague, nebulous, un un undefined position that you can come up with because it's just so uh, wishy-washy and and, and it's, it's interesting though but that's what you'll see like people like I guess like Sam Harris maybe not so much but I know I know that Dawkins does and uh, certainly like uh, Dawkins favorite ethicist which would be Peter Singer uh, he's he's promoting this utilitarian philosophy idea which essentially means like yeah you know that it's sort of the ends justifies the means but it's said and it's kind of framed in a different way situational ethics more or less but with a different kind of spin on it but then you know you could point out that like we'll say you know whatever maximizes well-being for the most number of people so like if you take a homeless dude and uh go ahead and put him on the on the operating table and rip all his organs out and give them to people who need organs you saved you know five people the homeless guy is dead but you've you've increased well-being of five people so overall you've in, you're increasing well-being so whatever action you know it may be repugnant at first glance but it, overall it's the you know the mo- greater good for the most people and and then the then You'd say, oh, is that utilitarian? Is that like, well, certainly you can make the case that, yeah, that's that's that would be totally right to do. But then a utilitarian would come back and say, well, no, because overall in society, people don't want to go around. um, Because I've heard this argument and it's like, well, if you have that happening in society, then it's going to create make people ill at ease thinking that, oh, they could be the next one to have their organs harvested. And it's like, okay, so then what you're really saying is that. We should do it, but not tell anybody or not make as long as we don't make it public, then it's ethical and it's it's okay is basically what the what the, the only conclusion you'd have to draw because you know you're in, increasing well-being certainly, but you're you're taking the life of one person and you're making five people's lives better and you're saving their life and that's increasing their well-being. So that's a utilitarian way of being ethically correct. But they, but yeah, that's what they would come back as a counter argument. Well, no, you couldn't do that because that would be overall bad for society because the way society perceive it, and it, it would make them feel like, oh, well, I could be the next victim, and it would cause consternation and, and trouble, troubled minds. And it's like, well, no, you just don't. You just, as long as you don't make it public, it's okay. So yeah, they would. You'd have to conclude that. Utilitarianism, yeah, that's like what's coming up on the scene more and more. I see. Looks like I got some guests, but I don't see anybody calling in. Yeah, if you want to call in, you go to uh, Talkshoe dot com 
or you type it into search talk shoe and hoaxbusters call should take you directly to the page and at the top of that page there's dial in numbers i don't know if uh if you haven't used it before you got to use the dial in numbers and those are at the talk shoe site well i imagine you had to go to talk shoe to get in here if you're in the chat so that's kind of stupid for me to say that but yeah the ta- the num- call in numbers are on the uh, top of the talkshoe.com But yeah, I want to thank uh, Adam for maintaining the blog when I was out. I appreciate that, man. Um, check out his videos on there because uh, he's got some interesting analysis of some movies that came out. I think it was really good. One about the Joker, and that's at Hoaxbusters call.blogspot.com by the way I have my URL snatched by some looks like some Chinese company or something so if you put hoaxbusters call (coughs) excuse me it directs you to some like Chinese casino website I don't know what it is but I let my I'll let my URL expire because they because it was time to renew it, and they were going to charge me like I forget, but it was a lot. And I was like, man, like what? Like initially it was ten bucks. Now you're raising the price on my URL. Why? You know, like it's pissed me off. So I just like put it on hold, and then I went to go see what they wanted for me to renew it, and and. I typed it in, and it goes to this, uh, oh, man, I don't know what it is. It's not hoaxbusterscall.com anymore. So you got to go to hoaxbusterscall.blogspot.com. But if you type it in a search engine, you should bring it up the site, the blog. Yeah, it's kind of annoying. Yeah, if you uh, let your guard down for a minute, you're going to have the vultures come in and snatch you up. Call.com. Yeah, what is this? It looks like Chinese characters. And I think, oh, wait, I can translate this page? Yeah, maybe I'll translate it, see what it says. Oh, okay. What is this site? Provide the most diverse and authentic games, the fairest gaming games, and dot, dot, dot. Various lottery games are game results based on official results. That's good. Uh, Fairest gaming game and full service. Our sports betting has a top-of-the-line operator. Investing a lot of manpower. That's good to know. 
Yeah, so this is where Hoaxbusters call goes now. Gaming. So you got access to all the fun games. Looks like they got some online poker, slots, machines, online lottery tickets. What? So they go around and they just scoop up any URL that's expired? And so I guess they already know that there'll be maybe a trickle of traffic going there so they can redirect it to... Ah, man. And I imagine, too, there's just probably people that do this to make a few extra bucks. Redirect it to some gambling site. I don't know if I'll ever get it back. I don't know. Hoaxbustercall.com URL may be... Gone for good, as far as I know. So it's a hour and 55 minutes into this recording. Like all systems are go. Like my... uh, yeah, I'm recording it on my end now, so hopefully I'll have a good audio when I upload it. So, uh, yeah, anybody got anything they want to say before I close up shop? Call in. The numbers are at the top of the screen at TalkShoe.com. And now they have, like, different numbers, international numbers that you can call in from anywhere that you happen to be. You're in uh, Helsinki, Finland. They have a number especially for you. If you're in the Midwest, they have a number for you. If you're in Germany, they have a special number for you. So I guess if where it was before, you'd, ha- you'd either have to have some international calling plan or you call through Skype or something. But now they have call-in numbers, especially for you if you live in one of those areas overseas. I know there's some people that listen that are overseas. Yeah, uh, yeah. John sent me this article. Do 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 do. Um, I have to find it. Oh, I see here. Or okay. So this is about artificial intelligence, and um, I want to read it, but it's putting all this obstacles in my way here. But anyway, yeah, get rid of that. Yeah, anytime you read something on a mobile, first thing that's going to happen is you're going to have a pop-up block what you're trying to read. 
So I just go to reader view. That's the only way you can read anything anymore without having to deal with all the advertisements and shit that pop up. But this is on New York Times. It says there will never be an age of artificial intimacy. It talks about years ago I spoke with a 16-year-old girl who was considering the idea of having a computer companion in the future. And you described the upside to me. It's not that the robot she imagined a vastly more sophisticated Siri was so inspiring. It's that she already found people to be so disappointing. And now, for the first time, she explained to me, people have options. Back then, I thought her comments seemed prescient. Now I find them timely. There are people who have tried to make friends but stumbled so badly they've given up, she said. So when they hear this idea of robots as companions, well, it's not like a robot has a mind to walk away or leave you or anything like that. And this girl had grown up in the time of Siri, a conversational object presented as an empathy machine a thing that could understand her. And so it seemed natural to her that other machines would expand the range of conversation. But there is something she may have been too young to understand, or like a lot of us, prone to forget when we talk to machines. These robots can perform empathy in a conversation about your friend, your mother, your child, or your lover, but they have no experience of any of these relationships. Machines have not known the arc of human of a human life, they feel nothing of the human loss or love we describe to them. Their conversation about life occupy the realm as, of the as-if. Yet through our interactions with these machines, we seem to ignore this fact. We act as though the emotional ties we form with them will be reciprocal and real, as though there is a right kind of emotional tie that can be formed with objects that have no emotions at all. In our manufacturing and marketing of these machines, we encourage children to develop an emotional tie that is sure to lead to an empathetic dead end. On top of this, it has become fashionable for psychologists to critique empathy, a unique form of human connection, just at a time when we are embarking on relationships with objects with none to give. The coincidence is too convenient. Children will lose the ability to have empathy if they relate too consistently with objects that cannot form empathetic ties technology challenges us to look at our human values we can try to use technology to cure parkinson's or alzheimer's which would be a blessing but that blessing is not a reason to move from artificial brain enhancement to artificial intimacy and yet with all this kind of talk one hears these days the narrative begins with the idea that Companionate robots would be better than nothing, quote-unquote, better because there aren't enough people to teach, love, and tend to people. But that idea quickly shifts into another. Robots would be better than most anything. Unlike people, they would not abandon you or get sick and die. They might not be capable of love, but they won't break your heart. From better than nothing to better than anything, these are the stations on our voyage to forgetting what it means to be human. But the forgetting begins long before we have a robot companion in place. It begins when we think of putting one in place. To build the robots, we must first rebuild ourselves as people ready to be their companions. And it goes on. Uh, I'll read this whole entire thing. But I'll post this in the chat. Um... But yeah, it's 
talked about this before, and they had like the early version of it. And I can't think of the name of it, but yeah, that's like when this stuff started first being developed. It was being developed with that purpose in mind, and yeah, we talked talk about that old old project that was like in the sixties. And it was testing the kind of interactions between humans and and this uh, so-called artificial intelligence. And now we're seeing this come out in this out different applications. Like you got Siri, you got Alexa, you got. The scene in THX 1138 where he goes to the uh, confessional and he talks to the robot, the AI. So, yeah, this is something, I guess, part of the long-term agenda. And now we're seeing it come on the scene in this uh, century of change where all this technology is coming out now and we're seeing it mold and shape culture and society people altering and changing their behavior in response to this technology and I've seen a lot of changes in my lifetime and a lot of changes that happened like within the last decade or so with the advent of the internet Coming on the scene and then going uh, into everyone's homes and everybody having a computer and then every and then um, everybody having a computer in their pocket with the smartphone and how that has changed and uh, yeah, if you go outside and you're walking around. I I do quite a bit of like I take walks to get exercise and uh, yeah you won't typically see kids out playing like they used to it's like yeah where are all the kids well they're indoors and they're on their gaming consoles and they're on the internet and they're on their iPads and they're on their uh, programs And then now they're going to be talking to Siri. So they'll come out with some more advanced uh, versions of that. And this has already been portrayed in movies and shows where it's like the girl gets a doll and it talks and but it's like got some kind of AI so-called built into it and like it becomes her friend and then you can see this happening too with this fragmentation this isolation atomization of people and this culture and how this will be become more of the norm with uh yeah, especially people moving around, people, you know, kids changing schools or going to a new neighborhood or a new town and they don't know anybody. And it's like, uh, yeah, we get one of these companion robots, you know, maybe just to hold you over till you find some friends. And then 
But it's like, oh, well, you're not going to find any friends because everybody has got their companion robot, and they just hang out with their companion robot, play video games. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, that's pretty pretty disturbing to me. I don't know. How, how, how advanced will it be and how convincing will it be and will it really truly get to the point where it's like actually uh suitable companion i don't know i i have my doubts about the the real potential about uh, of this technology especially with this ai thing i think it's really really overhyped um yeah I couldn't imagine trying to have a conversation with Siri. It just wouldn't be, you know, stupid. Anybody who's not AI want to call in? I see guest 12, Rich Destroy, guest 10, Toby, see Uninstall Media. Going on, man. Uh, guess seven, guess four. Got some guests that left call. Pretty sure Rich Destroy. I know he's not AI. Hung out with Richard on several occasions. Um, as far as everybody else, uh, it could be AI. <clears throat> Probably a Russian agent. Could be. But uh, yeah, whatever, call in. Even if you are AI, um, might as well get started on entering into the future. Chit chat with some AI bots out there on the internet. Interesting. Yeah, I wonder if that is even at this point because they have like these AI. Uh, talking robots that will pick up the phone when you call companies now. And then um, one thing, yeah, me and Richard talked about this, like uh, we was on a job painting his house and we'd get these calls from telemarketers and stuff and and a couple of them were like robots. And he asked them if, there's a, if there were robots and I forget that he didn't. Or Richard's still there. He could chime in the chat. Did they say they were robots or they like deny it? I think they denied it. But yeah, they were like robots. But they sounded not 100% convincing, but somewhat a lot closer than they used to be. But um, yeah, you can tell they're a robot or yeah, the recording or pre recorded answers and stuff. But. Um, it's, it's it's fairly sophisticated, yeah, especially compared to what it used to be like. Um, so yeah, the the technology is getting there. I mean, but how far along is it in reality? Like, is it at the point in some hidden laboratory somewhere where they could unleash that on you and you wouldn't really even know it? Um. I don't know.
Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about this stuff. But I, I'm convinced that they can do a really convincing CGI rendering of a human being. And that's something that's like been been technologically possible for a lot longer than we realize. Because if you, if you understand that, you know, the ability to render photorealistic scenes has been around a while. I've looked into a lot of this stuff. And they had some pretty sophisticated stuff back in the 70s. But, of course, you know, you're going to be told that, like, well, yeah, the limitation is the processing power. You know, you can't you can't do all the sophisticated ray tracing and all that if you have limited processor power. But you got to remember, like, the, like the Pentagon, the military's had these uh, supercomputers that are faster than anything that's available in a consumer market or anything like that. And they've had this, you know, for a while. And an interesting thing about, like, when you look at some of the more recent examples of the iteration of the supercomputer that that the military has access to and stuff, it's just these arrays of, uh, like, PlayStation graphics um, chips to, to do the number crunching. Yeah, I'm not making that up. That's what they use. So they, they're just these, uh, yeah, giant number crunchers. They can run whatever models and stuff they want in these things. They don't necessarily have to be used for graphics, but they could be used for graphics, couldn't they? And 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 could you imagine if they wanted to uh, do render photorealistic looking? Reporter on the scene of a crime that didn't happen, like that could easily be done and served up as real. And you don't think that's happened as far as at least on the experimental phase at this point? Of course it has. That's why if somebody's going to say, like, oh, Edward Snowden is a uh, CGI-rendered character, and, yeah, you don't typically see him in the same room with somebody he's always supposedly in exile and he's on the screen or then they brought him out one time and he was like in in the in a robot body where they had his face on a screen but it was like a rolling robot monitor thing that he could allegedly control from his wherever he was at that they had that which is interesting like well yeah why would they break all that out when they could just roll a tv out and have him come on the tv but they had them. So it's kind of like, yeah, they're they're running this stuff by us, and they're using him as like a, a test bed, and then he's actually a CGI, and he's a fictional character. Or maybe he's modeled after a real person, but whatever, but you're looking at CGI. And it's, uh, it, it, and at the same time, he's like, oh, warning about all this technology and the stuff, and he's supposedly this whistleblower guy that's like, uh, yeah. Can I prove it? No. But is it possible? I believe so, yeah. Well, uh, looks like I don't have any callers. Is this a Hoaxbusters call first? I'd be the first time I haven't had an actual caller. At least one. 
Uh, I'll wait a few more minutes. If anybody wants to call in, go ahead. If not, I'm going to call it a night. And I appreciate everybody that turned out to the live call. Pretty good turnout here. Um, let's see what else. I, I, I had some other stuff. Probably bring up on the next call. Um, can't think of it right now. But uh, since it looks like nobody's calling in, I'm going to close up shop. Uh, I don't have any outro music set up yet. But um, yeah, working on it. So with that, I'll just say it is November 25th, 2019. This has been Chris here. Yammering away for two hours and 16 minutes and 18 seconds. And I'll talk to you guys later. Have a good night. Take care. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.